welcome everybody to the Lower Decks episode of the Salty Nerd Podcast, live from each of our own personal studios, coming to you, talking about this terrible, terrible Star Trek show. Uh, thank you for joining us. As always, I have my co-host here, author extraordinaire, producer of the show, Matthew Kadish. What's up, man? How's it going? It's going. And the barbarian himself, Matt mm. Vader, 74. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, dude? Good morning. Is it morning still? No, it's actually it's twelve thirty nine. Just have to wake up. Morning somewhere. Good afternoon. <laughs> Thanks everybody in the today. chat. Right I'm on. Rep five network. Boys. Yeah, there we go. A little plug. Okay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Row and the Red Five Network. Um, so today, because we missed last week, because Vader wasn't with us, and it didn't feel right doing this show without him. Uh, yes, so we're I'm... gonna be doing. We're going to be doing two episodes this week. We're going to do an episodes five and six. And Kadish is going to take it away with the uh, plot details, and then we'll discuss each episode as we go. Uh, it's going to be pretty light. We, uh, we This is kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing, uh, so I'm not looking for like some uber structure, but we do want to talk about the show and have some fun with it. So uh, join us in the chat. Let us know uh, what you guys think of the show, and uh, tell us when you think we're being shills for CBS. <laughs> Looks like Hulk is here already, so I'm I sure think, it'll be I think just talking about this show makes us shills, right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, and especially if, if we don't have anything bad to say about it, we're super <laughs> shills. I guess we're already getting shit in the uh, in the chat. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hulk's in there. What no Tom again? <laughs> Who's gonna tell you you're all wrong? <laughs> That's what chat's for. Yeah. That's, right. That's what you're here for, man. <laughs> All right, take okay. it away. So episode five is called Cupid's Errand Arrow. Errant uh, Arrow. Errant. Sorry. Not errand. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so episode five of season one, Star Trek Lower Decks is entitled Cupid's Errant Arrow. And uh, it's basically like what happens if Cupid misses, you know, his, his shot. Um, the plot is that Mariner is suspicious of Boimler's new girlfriend. Tindy and Rutherford grow jealous of a bigger starship's gear. And uh, Captain Freeman and Jack Ransom have to negotiate diplomatically with various warring uh, populations. So uh, basically, uh, there are three different storylines going on in this episode. And let's talk about the first one, which is, of course, Captain Freeman dealing with the people of Mixtus II and Mixtus III. So basically, the overarching scenario in, in this episode is that you have the planet of Mixus three that has like a bunch of different moons kind of orbiting around it. And one of the moons is unstable and it's about to break apart and cause all types of calamity on the planet that it's orbiting. Uh, but what should be like a simple rescue operation where Starfleet comes and basically uh, controls the demolition of this moon and makes it safe for everybody. Um, various different populations of the planets and the surrounding moons are having disagreements about certain things because there are like religious implications to the moon and there's, you know, uh, eco or, uh, I want that, not economic, but uh, ecological implications and all this different stuff that people are arguing over. And so even though it means that, you know, their planet's basically doomed, none of these groups can actually agree on anything. And so the captain has to come in and diffuse the situation, figure out a solution for, to these problems in Starfleet flat fashion and uh, basically uh, try to get it to the point where they can actually save these people. Yeah. Uh, and this is just a small part of the episode, but it's kind of like the backdrop upon which the other two storylines play out. 
Uh, and uh, this is where we get to see the Upper Deck crew doing their thing. So what did you guys think of this one? I thought they needed uh, Q to come in and, and snap his fingers and put the moon back where it belongs, like in the Next Generation episode with the exact same plot that they, that they took this from. Yeah, they didn't have Captain Picard's uh, best friend to come and save the which, day. Uh, which Next Gen episode was this based uh, on? I forget the name of it. Somebody in chat probably knows it. I mean, I used to know the name of all the episodes, but it's it's been 30 years, right? So. Yeah. yeah, there was a, there was a Q episode. There was a moon degrading into orbit. Um, I think Jordy came up with some plan where they were going to use a deflector shield or some shit to to pull the moon back into orbit with its with its tractor beams and stuff. And uh, it didn't work, and the moon started breaking up. And Q was trying to prove a point as Q does, and in the end, he saved the day. Right? Am I right, Chat? Is that correct? But um, I think I I think I'm right. So yeah, but. Well, they're running out of ideas for stories, I guess. <laughs> they have to recycle some of these older ones. Or we just see a you know a different kind of perspective on the same kind yeah. of thing. It's it's fine. I it like is. how they kind of uh, I do kind of like how they they made the uh, the population of the planet to where the, nobody could get along or decide what they wanted to do with each other. That's pretty kind of relevant. That's a today. Yeah, that's a classic <laughs> Trek thing too. You see that all the time in in Star yeah. Trek with these warring yeah. factions and different planets and stuff. Um, but the are we going to spoil the big reveal at the end? Do you want to talk about that? Because that was my favorite part. I, I didn't really care for. We'll, most of the we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll, we're, uh, we're we're still on the Captain Freeman storyline. So okay. basically, she comes up with a solution to all the problems between the people of Mixes Two and Mixes Three. Uh, she says that they will relocate three tons of dust from the unstable moon for the people who hold it religiously significant, so they can worship the dust. Uh, she also says that uh, they will have gravity systems installed for the farmers who depend on the tides for their crops. Uh, and she finally says that all the ancestral homes will be relocated to the sixth moon since it will soon be technically the fifth moon anyway. So I guess like the religious, you know, the ancestral homes had to be on the fifth moon. So it's like, well, technically that's going to be the fifth moon. So pretty much everyone's satisfied and, and they all agree to, you know, her solutions. And they head out of the conference room except for one guy who says that the, the moon blocks pollution from Mixtus 3, which would otherwise fall onto Mixtus 2. And without the moon, they will perish. And so, like, there's uh, there's this one holdout who's basically arguing that all of his people are in danger. And uh, then at the end of the episode, we find out that it's just him and his wife. They're super rich, and they have, like, this vacation home uh, on this planet that Mixus 2 is blocking the pollution from. And as soon as... Uh, as soon as Captain Freeman hears this, she, she's like, "Destroy the moon!" Yeah, <laughs> just screw this yeah. guy. <laughs> this, that was that was a that was a good moment for me. I laughed. I had a good chuckle at it, and it felt it felt like it was a nice subversion from like what we just talked about. We see this kind of scenario run out in like Next Generation all the time, and this kind of puts that lower deck spin on it, where it's got this quirky element to it that makes it ridiculous and funny. I thought it was well done as far as this particular storyline went. Again, I'm not a super big fan of this captain. Uh, her attitude kind of swings from like super strict to just not giving a crap all every episode. She seems to just kind of want to fit the fit for the comedy uh, instead of actually just being a, you know, sustained character. Well, so it, it is a cartoon. Yes, it is. So, she also seems kind of insecure in her position. Like she knows that she's the captain of a not so important ship. And so everything yeah. she does is kind of like an, an ambitious effort to progress her status. Um, so it's 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 kind of weird because like she like she gets offended very easily when she's slighted. We've seen this in previous episodes. 
Um, yep. She's also uh, like way more qualified than she should be for a ship at this level. And they're <laughs> constantly running into captains and ships that are like above them in terms of like the status of, of yeah. Starfleet. And so she's constantly like irritated that she's not where she thinks she should be. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it, she's fine. I don't have a super big problem with her. It's not my favorite character on the, on the show, but that one, that one moment at the end of the episode that kind of like had that comic relief about the whole situation made me chuckle. So uh, I did enjoy it. Yeah. That, that one reveal it's like, Oh, it's just you and your wife. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that was pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Th- this whole episode you know, there there weren't like a whole lot of belly laughs. I'd say it, no. it was more it was more like intellectual. Like intellectually, I knew that there was humor in this episode. Yeah, because a lot of the situations were very humorous, and there were some good callbacks. But I didn't really have like any like laugh out loud moments uh, while watching this. I don't know about you guys. I don't remember anything. So I'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. But I have a funny story to tell you guys about uh, the Boimler and Mariner uh, situation. We'll, we'll talk about that in, in a second. All right. So uh, let's go to Rutherford and Tendy's uh, storyline. And it's kind of interesting because now that we've, we've seen this episode in episode six, we're kind of starting to see that, you know, there's the Mariner and Boimler storylines, and then they've seemed to have teamed up Tendy and Rutherford. So like we're getting these different storylines with these two different pairs. And uh, basically Rutherford and Tendy are like the, you know, the, the tech geeks and uh, they're, taking a lot of joy in fixing up the uh, Cerritos, which apparently is just falling apart constantly. Uh, so there's always something for them to do. Well, it's an and, older ship. It needs work. Exactly. And so like uh, they get uh, invited over to the Vancouver, which is the sister ship that's more advanced. And they're the one who's kind of like overseeing the, the controlled destruction of this moon. And uh, the apparently the Vancouver is just like, you know, the Canadian version of the ships are like way better than the, than the California versions. Uh, so they go over there and they're very impressed with, with the ship and they go to see Lieutenant Commander Ron Dossent. And he says that they can use the new T-88, uh, I guess, tools. I don't know exactly what they are. So super, super tricorder. Yeah. Super tricorder. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so he, he's like, and, uh, you know, whoever gets to, you know, whoever gets the most done can keep the, the T-88 tool and the Cerritos are having of these T-88s. So Tindy and Rutherford are really excited about this, but then they realize, oh, they're in competition with one another. So as they're going through the Jeffries tubes, like scanning the ship with these T-88s, they start getting into a little bit of competition. And then when they go back to return the tools to uh, uh, Ron Dossent, he informs them that they did such a good job that he's going to transfer them to the Vancouver off the Cerritos so that they can, you know, use those tools because the tools aren't technically allowed to leave the the ship. And this causes them to have like a bit of a crisis. It's like, you know, I really love the Cerritos. There's always something to do there because the ship's falling apart. Uh, But do I want to take this opportunity to basically like upgrade my my career? Um, So that happened. And then we find out that, uh, uh, there's a little bit of shenanigans going on here because Lieutenant Commander Dawsent basically feels out of his element on the Vancouver. He, f- he feels like it's too much responsibility and he's not qualified to handle it. So he came up with a plan to transfer uh, um, Rutherford and Tindy there so that he could transfer to the Cerritos where apparently life is much easier. And so uh, Rutherford and Tindy find this out and basically uh, – 
it devolves into like this weird kind of Benny Hillish uh, chase sequence where Ron Dawson suddenly a, a maniacal bad guy yeah. who's trying to stun them uh, with his razor. <laughs> and uh, they eventually have like, you know, the confrontation and he comes clean and, and they hash everything out. But it was kind of like one of those like uh, typical next generation scenarios that just devolves into ridiculousness uh, in this show. And I, I found it kind of humorous, but at the same time was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I, I have. I felt this was kind of like a meh part of the show. It wasn't the main part, so it wasn't a big deal for it to just kind of like take a back seat. But I didn't find it all that funny. It was there was a little bit of humor here and there with uh, with uh, Rutherford and Tindy kind of comp- competing against like who can do the most work. It's real like you know that, that over the top Starfleet attitude. Uh, so I, it was it was kind of comical, but again, I take it or leave it. Eh, it didn't really do much for me. Uh, the rest of the episode uh, kind of dragged what may have been funny about this got dragged down by some of the things I didn't like about the rest of the episode. I wonder if uh, people that are like making that parallel between the Cerritos and the actual state of California. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if the show is, if the show was smart enough to do that, I would give it some good credit. I don't think they're doing it on purpose. I don't either. But, but you're, kind of, you're kind of getting that, that, you know, cause California, as soon as you go across the border, down here at Prim, the roads change. Yeah. <laughs> nice, smooth asphalt. Uh, and then as soon as you get into California, because the state of California doesn't repair its fucking roads. Oh, sorry, I cuss. I, can we cuss on YouTube? I don't know. But uh, let's I try guess, not to. Yeah, let's try not to. I get a little wound YouTube up. barely lets you talk on it anymore. I know. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's the, the parallel there is funny how uh, the Cerritos is based on California and and um, it's kind of run down, broken. Needs a lot of help. And so has Not a lot really of respected. Has a lot of weirdos running the ship. You know? <laughs> so. yeah. The captain Newson just doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> doesn't know what he's doing he at gets, all. He gets yeah. really offended when people tell him he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you just cracked the code for this show, Vader. I, I think I did. Yeah, <laughs> very subversive show. <laughs> nice, good job. All right, good so job. let's talk about the the main storyline, which is uh, Boimler gets a girlfriend. And at first, Mariner doesn't believe him, but then she meets this girlfriend and she realizes, like, whoa, she's way too good for Boimler. Something's wrong here. <laughs> and so as Boimler um, kind of, you know, gets to spend time with his lady friend, um, who is, I believe, Lieutenant Brinson, Barbara Brinson. Um, so Boimler and Brinson. Uh, Mariner starts, you know, doing all this stuff to investigate uh, Brinson to try to figure out, like, you know, I, I think there, uh, she went through, like, Cardassian spy, transporter clone, Sullivan, um, you know, possessed by, you know, some type of like parasite, things like that. And at the same time, Boimler is jealous because he finds out that uh, Benson used to date Lieutenant Jet, who's like this big, black, muscular, good looking uh, cyborg guy from uh, the Cerritos. And so Boimler keeps trying to up his game uh, in, in various ridiculous ways. And uh, eventually, uh, Mariner gets proof that there's some type of parasite involved here. And she thinks that it's, you know, that uh, uh, Brinson is is the parasite. And when she confronts her, uh, they have like this big fight, like knockdown, drag out fight. And uh, they start exchanging, uh, you know, what they know about Boimler during this fight. And they start bonding over like all the embarrassing stuff they know about him. (laughs) And then they find out that it was Boimler who was uh, 
uh, infected by a parasite, which releases pheromones that attract women to him. And this is why Benson was into Boimler. It wasn't because she actually liked him. It was because this parasite was like fooling her into thinking she liked him. And so basically Boimler gets dumped at the end of the episode. And uh, Mariner is of course proven right. And she becomes BFFs with Brinson. And uh, it was another kind of example of the, the Mariner show and just kind of like making Boimler out to be like a complete tool, which I didn't like necessarily. But at the same time, it was also kind of like a funny like, you know, interaction where like, you know, for a great deal of the episode, Boimler was kind of like, yeah, you know, I got this hot girlfriend and Mariner just couldn't deal with it. And no way you don't have a hot girlfriend. And it was a a little bit cute. Yeah. It was a little bit cute because it seemed like Mariner was kind of jealous. Like, you know, like Boimler, like, like she's into Boimler a little bit, but she doesn't want to admit it. So like, uh, you know, there there was a little bit of that there, and also like we're getting some type of like relationship vibes off of Rutherford and Tindy. So uh, I I found it kind of I found the main storyline pretty charming uh, and humorous, but at the same time it was I was kind of like, well, I wish that they hadn't made Boimler out to be such an idiot, and uh, again hadn't made Mariner like you know the the big Mary Sue that she has been for the past five episodes. <laughs> Boimler is 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 her work wife. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I I know how that works. I've had lots of work wives, and you know, you work with these people that you see more than your family, you know, and it's you develop relationships, and and that's how it is, man. It's just this the real world. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I can agree with you. It, it was it did have some charm to it, but the funny story I wanted to tell you guys is I was watching this um, show, and my wife happened to be in the room, and she doesn't watch it. She, I asked her if she wanted to watch it when it first started coming out, and she's like, it looks like. Rick and Morty with Star Trek, she's not interested. She's like, that's not Star Trek to me. Get, get that. <laughs> she's like, get that trash out of my house. <laughs> I'm like, well, I got to watch it because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review it. So I'm watching this episode, and at the point where Mariner and uh, – what's Boimler's girlfriend's name? Uh, Brinson. Brinson. When they're fighting, like having a, a duke out, and they're going like, no, you're the parasite. No, you're the parasite. No, I think you're the parasite. My wife looked at me from across the room and was like <laughs> – Gene Roddenberry is freaking out right now. That is trash. She's like, that is some uneducated, dumb Star Trek. Yep. And I'm like, eh, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not so, wrong. You're not wrong. So uh, I have to give credit to my wife because she kind of like I was kind of chuckling at it. But then when she when she like pointed out just how dumb it was, I was like, wow, man, that, that is it's so different from any other Star Trek out there that it is a hard pill to swallow if you're not into it. So that's well, why I didn't I didn't really like care for this storyline. I, I I thought it was kind of funny here and there, but overall, it just kind of man, this was like a meh episode for me. Uh, there was one part of the episode that I really enjoyed, which was Mariner's flashback to her time on the medical frigate USS Quinto, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess is a nod to Zachary Quinto, who played Spock in the uh, uh, the J.J. Abrams movies. Uh, but basically, she had a flashback where she's like. Uh, at the Quinto that's docked at deep space nine and her and two friends of hers are at a bar and her friends are like finally together. And uh, she's like, Oh, you know, you guys are so cute together, blah, blah, blah. And uh, you you know, uh, uh, she talks about how perfect the guy is and how like she's uh, she wouldn't be surprised if he was like a Hargonvian shapeshifter, you know, because he's so perfect. And then, like, the, the guy, like, you start seeing him, like, you know, kind of twitch and stuff. And then he becomes this monstrous Har- Har- Harvongian shapeshifter, and he just eats her friend right in front of her. And so, like, like this is, like, her 
her motivation as to why she wants to protect Boimler and why she's suspicious of Brinson, because when things turn out to be too good to be true in the Star Trek universe, they usually are. So, but uh, that whole scene, it was just, I, I found it very humorous because it was a very Star Trek-y scene where it's like, oh, like the shapeshifter, and like he turns into a monster and like he starts eating people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was also like, uh, Vader, you told me that uh, the medical frigate yeah. is something that was in... Um, it was. It was. Uh, I don't remember the name of the ship, but it was. It's the same kind of ship that uh, Captain Beverly Crusher captained in the uh, in the in the series finale for Next Generation. Yeah. So uh, I hadn't. Re- I didn't recognize the design of the ship, and I thought it was really cool because uh, I, I I didn't remember seeing it before. Um, but it's it, it's also kind of funny that Mariner has yeah been on like chat said it. It was the name of. Uh, the name of the ship is the Pasteur, so yeah. that is very that is very correct. But but it is funny that Mariner has been on so many different ships, like like she's just like really well, well traveled, yeah. experienced. I, I I'm confused sometimes about how old she is and how long she's been in Starfleet because it seems like Boimler's pretty new, and they were supposedly in the Starfleet together, coming up being trained. But she's been on like all these black ops missions with Klingons and like four different starships. Well, I, I think Mariner has supposed to have been promoted before and then demoted several times. And she jumps around from ship to ship because she's kind of a head case and has an attitude problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I I think they're also making it a specific gag that Mariner is young and yet she's had all these experience, almost like a Wesley Crusher type thing where she's been in Starfleet because of her parents since like birth. And so like, she's basically been crewing ships since, you know, she, she can remember and has all these experiences and stuff. Yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. help. It doesn't help with, uh, with the Mary Sue aspect of her character though. It's, it's a, like, she's been there and that with everything that she encounters, it kind of gets, it gets old after a while. Money is the number one cause of stress and the number two cause of divorce. Make your money go further and work harder with a certified financial planner from Facet Wealth. Financial planning used to focus on retirement, but Facet helps you with today. You get a dedicated financial planner that guides you through every financial decision. Inflation, interest rates, stock market changes, home prices. How do you figure it all out? Well, every advisor at Facet is a certified financial planner and fiduciary. That's just a fancy way to say they have the best training, and they're legally bound to do what's in your best interest. This isn't just about investments. It's about taking care of your money so you can start living a better life today. Facet has a simple flat fee, no hidden charges, and with nothing to sell, there are no commissions. Visit TryFacetWealth.com for two months free off your first year of financial planning. That's T-R-Y-F-A-C-E-T Wealth.com. Facet Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Yeah. All right. So moving on to episode six, entitled Terminal Provocations. And basically, uh, this is an episode where the lovable but awkward Ensign Fletcher makes work difficult for Mariner and Boimler. 
and Rutherford introduces Tindy to a holodeck training program that he created. So the overarching upper deck story that we're introduced to in this episode is basically Captain Freeman and her bridge crew are looking to uh, basically salvage what's left of a uh, Federation sh starship that I guess like had some type of accident or, or crashed or whatever. Um, and it was a Ant Starfleet Antares cargo ship. And so there was a lot of like Starfleet cargo and stuff like that that was in the wreckage. From 100 years ago, it said, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a race of aliens called the Drukmanis, which discovered the wreck and alerted Starfleet to it. But they, they want a finder's reward. Well, they're claiming and, salvage. Yeah. Uh, and basically their finder's reward is the actual wreckage of the ship. And that's what yeah. they're claiming in Star Trek. I think, I think there's like a legit maritime law, a salvage law that yeah. is. And Star, Starfleet's there. basically like, well, you know, you can't have it because this is this belongs to the Federation. <laughs> and so, like, there's, like, this confrontation going on with these uh, Drukmani uh, salvagers. And at some point, the Drukmanis, rather than straight out attack uh, the Cerritos with weapons, they start using their tractor beams to, like, fling garbage at them <laughs> and uh, impact the, their, their ship. And so, like, at first you have this tug of war between the two tractor beams and then the the Drukmani just start like just yeah attacking the ship basically. So I I need to interject just real quick. So if the writers knew Star Trek, at least in my opinion, this Drukmani aliens, I've I've never heard of these things. But if they really had wanted to like make this a throwback, they should have used Packleds, and, and as as the other race of aliens. You guys don't even know what the Packleds are, right? No, oh educate us, Vader. So back in season one, season two, I don't know. It was a long, it was early in the Star Trek Generations run. There's a, there's a Geordi episode where where there's these race of aliens who have a broken ship and they're really dumb. And the, 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 the aliens that go, you are smart. You make things go. Yes, right? and, I and, do and, they, that. and they kidnap Geordi to fix the their warp core on their ship. Yep. You know, and and they're just they're a bunch of retards, really. You know, and and it's just that would have to me that dynamic would have been much better as, instead of introducing some new race instead of you know because it would have been like a, a better kind of standoff between the 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 Cerritos and the captain trying to negotiate with these dumbass packleds <laughs> who are who are trying to steal their broken down junk out in space. You know, so that's that's just my opinion. But anyway, go ahead, Matt. Well, I mean, it is funny be, because. Starfleet, the Cerritos can't fire on the Drukmani ship because, um, you know, as as they as the crew tells the captain, basically, if they fire on that ship, it's an act of war, and the yeah. whole Drukmani uh, species will declare war on the Federation. And Lieutenant Shax, who's one of my favorite characters, he's the the head of security. He's like, I got no problem with that. Let's just let's let's just kill these guys. And uh, but of course, Captain Freeman's like, oh, we have to find a, a different solution. So all throughout this episode, the tensions between the Cerritos and the Drukmani ship keep escalating, and they kind of tie in with the main uh, storyline of, of this episode, which we'll get to in a second. So the kind of B storyline uh, of, of the episode has to do with Rutherford and Tendi again. And basically, uh, Tendi is kind of nervous about doing spacewalking. Uh, to repair, like, you know, uh, stuff on the outer hull of the ship. And she knows that she's going to be called to do that at a certain point. And she's kind of expressing her 
nervousness to Rutherford, and Rutherford says that he's created a uh, training program on the holodeck that can help her out so like she can get used to spacewalking without the, actually being in the dangers of outer space. And so they go to the, the uh, holodeck, and he calls up his beta program, uh, which is called Badgie. And it's just like a Starfleet badge. It, it's almost like that that little paperclip thing. The, from yes, paperclip from like yes, exactly yeah. what I was gonna say. And, I was I was I was getting more of a of a DNA vibe. DNA? Mr. DNA from Jurassic Mr. Park. Mr. DNA. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those cartoon yeah. mascot type things. So it's like a, a Starfleet badge with like eyes and a mouth. And he pops up and he's like, what would you like me to train you to, in today? You know? And, <laughs> right. Uh, so like, uh, unfortunately, because it's a beta program, it gets glitchy. And uh, as the um, Drukamani are attacking the ship, the safety protocols for the holodeck somehow get turned off. And what happens is Badgie basically malfunctions like most Star Trek uh, holodeck uh, things do. And he becomes evil. And he starts basically uh, dismembering other holodeck people and trying to kill uh, Boimler and, uh, Not and Boimler. Tindy. And so at Rutherford. a certain point, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Rutherford and Tindy. And so at a certain point, uh, they start running away from Badgie, who, who's like, I'm going to rip you apart and drink your blood and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and so like they have to find a way to defeat Badgie because the computer isn't you know, obeying any of their commands and stuff like that. And uh, also have to find a way to keep themselves from being killed now that the safety protocols are off. Yeah, I think uh, I, we've had a lot of uh, we've had a lot of uh, weird holodeck episodes in Star Trek over the years. So, oh, for sure. I, I don't feel like they're treading any new material with this thing. They're just no, making, is, make, making it a little more cartoony is all they did with it, and it, yeah. it's, a, it's fine, I guess. Whatever. And, and Tim, Tim in the comments said Futurama did this 15 years ago, which they absolutely did. This is not like new ground or anything. It's just the Star Trek version of of all these events. Yeah. And I have to say though, I did laugh at this part, having Badgie just like go completely psycho and like watch him like rip apart all these other holographic things, and it reminded me of. Um, uh, it reminded me of uh, Star Trek Voyager. If you guys are fans of Voyager, you remember Naomi uh, had a hologram program that was uh, like a, a fantasy little world. They had like a fish dude that was her best friend or whatnot. And I just when I saw this episode and I was like, man, what if like what if that happened to Naomi when she was a kid and she went in there with Neelix and this like program went crazy and tried to murder everybody? I just it seemed like a classic, you know, scenario that would happen in a Star Trek episode. And it was just over the top and. Uh, pretty comical. So this aspect of this episode, I did enjoy this. Uh, I, I thought the Badgie little subplot was pretty freaking funny. Yeah, I actually hope they bring Badgie back because I really enjoyed like like this cart- cartoony, friendly looking Starfleet badge, which is just secretly a uh, you know yeah. a, a can, you ima- can you imagine the merch that's it's coming? The, the, the Badgie merch. It's, it's happening. Badgie merch. Yeah, I, I'd be yeah. down for that. Do they have but, any merch for this TV show? I haven't seen I anything. But it, it is funny because, like, at a certain point, Rutherford, in order to save Tindy, he, like, faces off with his creation, Badgie, and he starts, like, fighting with it, like, hand-to-hand, and Badgie's like, like, like uh, you know, I will kill you, father. You have betrayed <laughs> me for the last time. And, and at a certain point, Rutherford's like, I'm sorry, son. You know, <laughs> I shouldn't have activated you until you were ready. And, uh, so it's kind of like a funny thing. And then, like, Badgie, like, he ends up killing Badgie, breaking his neck, like, just twisting the... the uh, um, badge around and then oh, like yeah, a, he like he like broke his neck but it was just he just twisted it like a piece yeah. of paper yeah yeah and, and then like he, he does the whole no 
the thing. <laughs> and uh, and then like once the safety protocols reengage after the you know threat um, that the upper deck is dealing with uh, resolves itself, uh, Badgie just pops back up like like nothing happened. He's like, "Hey guys, how's it going? Do you want me to train you in anything?" And they're just like, "No, no, no, just let us out of here." Yeah. And then then it's it's implied that Badgie is still functioning. And yeah, so, what did he say? He's like, I'll see you later, and his eyes get all crazy or something like that. It, yeah. it, it's very much a Moriarty situation because you know how in the next generation, Moriarty, uh, whenever Data and Jordy did the, the Sherlock Holmes program, Moriarty was actually like a bad guy. Yeah. Now, that would be a fun episode of the Bring Moriarty back, right? But he's like, he's in his little secret holodeck universe, right? And he has a little, they put him in this little stasis chamber that he thinks is the universe. So mm-hmm. that's kind of fun. Yeah, that'd be a cool callback to bring back. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a, a fun little thing. Although most of the criticisms of this episode that I saw on Twitter had to do with Badgie, like, dismembering people, even though they weren't real people. Uh, they were pointing to that as, like, I, I remember yeah. when my Star Trek wasn't so gory. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing with Kurtzman's Star Trek. Like, he really wants to make this rated R. Like, the cartoon thing, it, it's... Well, it's, I mean, it's Rick, and, it's Rick and Morty gore, so it doesn't really. I don't think it counts like that. I I, I can remember Worf kind of uh, messing up some 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 holodeck creatures in his training programs. So yeah, but it's I mean, never. It was, like, ne- it was never like overtly like bloody and gross, but no. I mean, the worst thing. Still, go ahead. I just said he's still cutting some people up pretty good with his ballet. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, the worst thing I remember ever seeing in like legit Star Trek uh, was like plasma burns from exploding. You know. Uh, equipment and stuff like that but uh like star trek discovery took it to a level that i don't ever want star trek to take it to because they were legit like decapitating uh klingons and stuff like that oh well, discovering garbage tv show. yeah it was it was yeah. trash so like when they when they do something similar but it's in this like cartoon version mm-hmm. i just it's more of a comical thing than it right. is like some like shocking gore i don't know that's just my opinion i could be i could be wrong i actually find that type of stuff entertaining like you know cartoon limbs being ripped off blood spraying everywhere and they get beaten with them and stuff uh so like that uh that didn't bother me too much but i can see why people would think it was stupid or bad idea or whatever uh did we lose alex i don't know salty disappeared does that mean i have to talk more uh, probably yeah. oh god i actually have to put in some work <laughs> all right i'm sorry so let's, work. yeah so let's talk about the the main storyline of this episode which is we're introduced to a new character, um, basically a, uh, a character named Ensign Fletcher. Fletcher, yeah. And he seems to be a real dude bro. He's part of the, the Lower Decks crew. And he's working with uh, Boimler and uh, Mariner, recalibrating the ship's isolinear cores. Do you know what those are, Matt? Well, they have something to do with the ship and how it runs. I don't know, man. <laughs> you know what they do, so... I, I, I don't know what they do actually. You know, it's, um, it's it's does any Trek person know what they do? They're, I'm sure there are Trek people. It's, out there it's Trek no babble. It's what isolinear cores do. I don't you know go mess with the isolinear chips and they take them on. They go and they play with them and the shields do different things or or whatever. You know, it's just it's a it's a plot device for Star Trek that they can throw words like that in. Where the hell did Salty go? I'm right here. Sorry, I had to step out for a second. But uh, you know, it's like isolinear chips and in dilithium diodes and you know whatever. It's just it's techno speak. It's 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 fine. It's cool. Techno speak. I like yeah, that. So. 
So anyway, uh, Mariner and Boimler and Fletcher are all working on all these isolinear cores that they have to recalibrate. And Mariner and Boimler are basically worried that they're not going to be able to finish in time to go to this thing called the Choo Choo Dance, uh, which is a party that's happening in like 10 forward or something like that. Uh, but they've been looking forward to this choo-choo dance thing. I guess there's like some type of like band, the choo-choo band that, that's playing there. And uh, they're kind of bummed that they're going to miss out on this. And uh, Fletcher basically says like, hey, you guys go on, go to the choo-choo dance. I'll take care of the isolinear cores. And they're like, dude, are you sure? This is a lot of work. And he's like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, go on. Like, I don't mind it. So Mariner and Boimler take that opportunity to go to the choo-choo dance. And uh, they leave uh, Fletcher to his own devices. The choo-choo dance. Yeah. And and when they come out of the choo-choo dance, they got like the, their choo-choo t-shirts on. And they're like singing the choo-choo song. And, uh, but then they find Fletcher like knocked, knocked out completely. And uh, uh, when they ask him what happened, uh, he basically says he was working on the core when someone came up behind him and stunned him with a phaser. And they noticed that one of the isolinear cores for the shield array is missing. And basically that means that, uh, you know, the isolinear shield arrays uh, kind of auto repair uh, when the shields are damaged. And because- Can you say that again? The, Iso isolinear shield arrays, that's, that's a good one. That's another check. Well, well, the isolinear cores for the shield array. <laughs> uh, so ba basically these, these cores are responsible for auto repairing uh, the shields after they've been damaged and because the Cerritos is currently being bombarded by trash from uh, the, uh, what were those guys called again? The Duke, Duke Mani. Uh, this has wide reaching implications for the ship because if the shields can't auto repair, eventually they're gonna fail. And pretty soon the, the hull is gonna start taking damage. Uh, so basically they know that because of this, uh, Fletcher could be court-martialed and uh, Mariner and Boimler realize that they're responsible for him, you know, being in the situation. So they want to help him out, find out who did this. And so the first suspects they come up with are uh, the Delta Shift, which is like the, <laughs> the, the B-listers of the B-listers, I guess. They're, they're like the night shift that goes on while Mar Mariner <laughs> and her crew are, are sleeping, I guess. So they pay them a, a visit. Uh, and uh, basically the Delta shift starts talking mad shit to them. And uh, they're about to, you know, come to fisticuffs when one of them says like, Hey, wait a minute, we were at the choo-choo dance with you guys. It couldn't have been us. And then it cuts to, you know, Mariner and Boimler singing the choo-choo dance at the choo-choo party. And it's the, the Delta crew is like right behind them. And they're like, Oh yeah, it couldn't have been you. And so they ask if, uh, you know, Fletcher remembers anything else. And uh, Fletcher eventually, uh, is is revealed that he tried to do like a weird uh thing where he like he hooked himself up to one of these uh uh you know mechanical things that he, that he was fixing and uh he wanted to make himself smarter uh, so he was hoping to transfer some of that energy from these isometric cores into his brain and it ended up working in reverse where he transferred part of his consciousness into one of these cores and the core became self-aware and attacked him and it's slowly kind of like the, this core is slowly growing and becoming like a sentient alien thing that's just like absorbing all the material around it and getting bigger and bigger and more dangerous. And so uh, Boimler basically uh, has to team up with uh, Mariner and subdue this thing and get it out in airlock. And as soon as they fire this sentient uh, isometric core out the airlock, it attacks the 
Drukmani's ship and destroys it. And so technically Starfleet didn't fire on that ship. Um, <laughs> and it, it kind, of, kind of diffuses the situation for the upper deck crew. Um, but basically Fletcher still lied to them and basically uh, was blackmailing them and, uh, to force to keep them from not telling on him. So instead they get him promoted and in this promotion, it gets him off, off the Cerritos and he becomes someone else's problem. Uh, and Boimler's kind of pissed off about this because Boimler really wants to be promoted and get, you know, on a better ship. But uh, he's willing to kind of like let this one slide because he just realizes how big of a screw up Fletcher is and uh, he doesn't want him on the ship anymore. And it turns out like, what was it, like six weeks after he got promoted, uh, Fletcher basically gets uh, kicked off the ship and demoted or something like that. Um, so it was like the right call for this. One of the things I liked about this episode is it wasn't so Mariner centric. Like it, it felt like, uh, you know, she was kind of like marginalized a little bit. It was more of an even Boimler and uh, Mariner episode. So uh, Boimler didn't come off as such an incompetent fool and Mariner wasn't such a Mary Sue. And I felt like it worked a lot better, but out of all the episodes we've seen so far, this one was the most meh for me. Yeah. Uh, I will agree. I like the dynamic. Whenever they do like an ensemble style storytelling where it's not just Mariner being like head honcho, I, I feel like it works so much better, especially with Boimler. Uh, and in, in that regard, I think this episode worked pretty well. But uh, I'm with you guys. I really don't want to ever see that that weirdo that caused all these problems ever again in the show. Fletcher? Like, Fletcher, yeah. I, I didn't like his character. Um, I didn't think he Voiced was that Voiced by funny. Tim Robinson, for the record. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, who's and, Tim uh, Robinson? Uh, he's an actor. Some guy. Some <laughs> guy. What is? It, what else has he been in? I don't know. I have to go look. Okay. I would require right. show prep before, oh, I, yeah. before we go in. That's, we didn't do that. That's that's this that's this guy's job over here <laughs> to actually research and stuff. <laughs> but like you said, his name like he was significant for something. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Okay. If you guys are gonna like like fucking nail me here. Hold on. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I didn't really care for this episode. I didn't think the premise was very believable with like this like sentient being uh, just kind of like showing up out of nowhere and like collecting trash that makes itself bigger. I just I was like, nah, it was too fast. Like I could see that happening in like Next Generation or Voyager or something over the course of like a whole season or something like not a season. That's excessive. But like maybe a two part season where they have this thing that starts off small and then it gets bigger and bigger. But like they did it so quick in this episode, and there was like really no explanation for how it worked. So I just didn't buy it. I didn't buy the premise. I didn't really like it that much. Um, but I did like the fact that Boimler and Mariner uh, worked together more as a as a team. Tim Robinson is an SNL guy. Yeah, okay. it's one of the new SNL dudes. So, so uh, there, no one of significance. No one of significance. <laughs> what did you think about of... this? What? What did you think about this uh, this little episode here? This uh, it was it was it was just typical lower decks. It was fine. It was, you know, it, it's I've just come to expect a uh, a twenty minute bit of uh, mediocrity with some Star Trek uh, <laughs> with some Star Trek uh, paint over it, paint on it. Yeah, that's a good word for it. You know, with some Star Trek skin. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that's pretty much what this is. It's 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 just Vinley. Thinly veiled Star Trek cartoon with some uh, Easter eggs and and some cool artwork sometimes. So I still like the art. I do. I do. I like the art style. 
I like the way the ships look. I like the way that the when they go like show space shots with planets and that kind of stuff. I think it's cool, but they just they need some work on the, in the writing room, you know. So I will say that of the new Trek shows we've gotten, like Discovery and Picard, this one feels the most authentically Trek to me. Like uh, Lower Decks feels like it's made by people who actually love Star Trek, as opposed to people who are just brought on. Well, because, I, would, like, I would say it it's made by people who have at least bothered to research Star Trek. I don't know if I get the love part, but they at least kind of research their stories a little bit about before they put it out there. So, And here's a little fun fact. Uh, Jack McBrayer did the voice of Badgie, and you might recognize him as Kenneth. Who's that? Who's that? Kenneth from uh, 30 Rock. I've never heard of that guy. He was, he was the oh, page agent. He's a loser. I, I don't know who that is. <laughs> no, I like I like him. He's, he's a really good comedic actor. Like yeah, you'd recognize him if you saw him later. I'm sure I would. Very good comedic actor. Yeah, there, okay, there, there's a lot of talent that works on this show. It's just unfortunately it doesn't always communicate to the final product. I don't. I don't sense the utmost. I don't. I don't sense. I don't sense the disdain and disrespect towards Star Trek that I get that I got from Picard. Yeah. And from like the first couple seasons of Discovery, you know, you watch those shows and it's like, why are they even making these shows? They obviously hate this world. So why <laughs> well, are they, they want, in? Why they want know? to change it or they yeah. want to yeah. make it look? You can yeah. ask that about the the people who worked on the Star Wars movies too. Yeah, yeah. So, same thing. It's the exact same thing. You're right. Yeah, uh, I want to address one of the comments in here. It says, "Are the women still all powerful and the men all silly?" Uh, for the most part, yes. Um, however, some episodes uh, flip the script a little bit, and and they uh, they like Rutherford. Rutherford's been pretty competent throughout the entire season. There's never a moment where his character is like the dumb one. So like Rutherford and Tilly, is it Tilly or Tindy? Tindy. Rutherford and Tindy work really well together, and they're as far as I can remember throughout the entire season so far, they've been pretty much equals. Uh, where we get that like real lopsided uh, uh, friendship is with uh, Mariner and Boimler, and it's unfortunate. Like some episodes are really good, like he just said, like you have a co- a good team dynamic, and Boimler holds his own. And then other episodes, they just throw him under the bus, and he's he's yeah. a fool. So it's very uneven when it comes to that particular uh, criticism that people give it. It's like sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Yeah, I really think that the best episode that we got was. Um... I think it was called Envoys. It was the one where basically um, Mariner is teamed up with Jack Ransom on the planet. Uh, and uh, we, we get their story. And then Boimler's on the ship. And he, no, no, it was the Temporal Edict one. And Boimler's on the ship. And he's basically, you know, uh, the guy who, um, uh, like, he, he can keep up with the time requirements that the captain's been imposing on them as they're being attacked. And so, like, uh, he comes off as very competent because he helps resolve the situation on the ship. And Mariner is kind of sidelined by Ransom on the planet. And we get to see Ransom's Kirk fight with that giant. And, uh, and Mariner is kind of turned on by it after, you know, he stabs her in the foot to keep her from out Mary suing him. Um, so, like, I, I feel like that, that's the best episode we've gotten so far in terms of, like, the different character dynamics. Uh, but, when, uh, but, you know, like, all these characters are caricatures of other char- characters from Star Trek. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, it's not necessarily like, you know, women, bad men, morons type thing. Cause there are men in, in the show who are pretty competent, 
Um, it's just uh, one of those things where I, I feel like they're the writers and producers have made decisions that uh, don't translate well um, for the most part. So like I'm Mariner's kind of grown on me. I'm, I'm starting to like her a little bit more, but she's still like, uh, she has a tendency to dominate each episode that she's in. I don't, I don't find her as annoying as I did the first few episodes. Yeah. yeah she, now that I know her a little bit better, like I'm not quite as irritated by her, but at the same time, the episodes where she's not front and center, like kind of leading the action are much better because I feel like Star Trek is at its best when, it, when it's an ensemble instead of focusing on just like one character. And the episodes that we've gotten from Lower Decks that are more ensemble pieces have been pretty good, in my opinion. And it's always the ones that kind of focus on Mariner specifically that I'm just kind of like, eh, I didn't really enjoy it all that much. So who knows? That's just three white dudes' opinion. <laughs> yeah, this isn't made for us. It's not our show. It's not our show. No, never. Uh, all right. Well, that covers uh, both episodes pretty well. Or is there anything else in the uh, that we want to talk about? Yeah. Uh, so we got the announcement this week that for the first time ever, Star Trek is going to have non-binary and trans characters in it in the third season of Discovery. And I wanted to know what Matt Vader thought of that news. <laughs> Dude, this is supposed to be like a lighthearted cartoon show we're diving into politics baby oh it's star trek news so. I'm, I'm gonna say three words and if it's too cryptic for you then fine but that's all i'm gonna say and the chat can go figure it out they can go on twitter they can look it up whatever <laughs> i'm just gonna say beep boop bop and call it good okay and that's it that's all i'm saying about the stupid ass trans binary whatever stuff on star trek and it, it's it, it transcends ips so that's that well the There's, interesting thing is is that there was a next generation episode that had an entire was. non-binary race in it mm -hmm. and uh, in fact Riker got busy with one of them so <laughs> yeah, uh, of course he did technically well, their announcement that's the first non-binary character is not true right yeah Cyber is asking this question. What do we think about Q being in Lower Decks? And that's not until next week's episode. So we'll talk about it then. Is it confirmed that he's actually in that I, episode? I, I believe so, yes. John Delancey is coming back to so, voice yes. his character. I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think so, yes. Well, yeah, I'm the, down the for whole, that. For the sure. Whole non, the whole non-binary thing is is just a, a publicity stunt to to be calling it the first ever. I, I mean, yeah. there are, the argument that they want to say is like it's the first ever main character in a show. It's not just a and side character or something like probably that. not even the main character. Yeah, yeah. Also, yeah. Also, I kind of feel like Tig Nataro is so androgynous that uh, <laughs> she, she kind of beat them to that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I'm. We, we did get the new trailer for season three of Discovery. And, uh, and you know uh, what? I haven't even bothered to watch it. I didn't know I, it was out. I, I haven't even watched it yet. I, I it know came it. out. And it is, I have very mixed feelings about it because I feel like they're trying to do some good stuff in it. But at the same time, there's so many little things that just like mm -hmm. bothered me about it. Oh, but... I, I feel I feel like I'm in an abusive relationship with Star Trek. Like well, we every are. time... I give it a second chance and come back to it. It just fucking beats the shit out of me. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, the, the, the stank from the first two seasons of discovery is not going to go away in this third season. There's still going to be there. And if you can't get over that hurdle, and even if this, even if this season is really good, 
a lot of people are just not going to accept it because the last two seasons I, were terrible. I, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of done with Discovery. I, I feel like, like Matt said, we're, it's just they they beat our head with their with their nonsense too much. Um, if there's going to be any saving Star Trek the franchise, it's going to have to come from from the uh, Pike series. They're they're going to have to do that series correctly. Is yeah. it Strange New Worlds or Brave New Worlds? I, I don't know. I don't strange, know. I think. Strange New but, Worlds. But, but you know yeah. what? Uh, Discovery is a hate watch for me. I, I, I'm only <laughs> watching it so we can talk about it. You, you know what I mean? That's it. Yeah. And and uh, the Pike show has to be good. If I'm looking forward to it. It is kind of funny because if if chat were to go back and listen to our older podcast episodes mm-hmm. where we talk about Discovery and we talk about Picard, we always start off very optimistic. Like we're really trying hard to give it the benefit of the doubt. We, uh, you know, I remember particularly with Picard, uh, Vader, you and me, the first like two episodes or so, yeah. we were kind of, kind of like very forgiving of yeah. some of the things. And then as it went on, you could just see us get more and more bitter. We were angry <laughs> yeah. by the time I left. It's like, what are with these stupid flowers? Why are the flowers floating in space? It doesn't make any sense. But yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, pretty questionable. And uh, you know, Discovery season three has a whole new showrunner, Michelle Paradise. And uh, I can remember when she was named showrunner at the end of season two of, of Discovery. There's a lot of talk about her being like an old school Star Trek fan, and she wants to get back to you know more traditional Star Trek storytelling. And from the trailer for Discovery season three, I, I don't really see that, you know. But like, I do see that they're they're trying to make the crew more or more of the focus as opposed to making it the Michael Burnham show. Yeah. Um, like, I, I do have a little bit of, of faith there. And then that guy from the short Trek, uh, the black guy, when he found Discovery and was on the ship you know, by himself for like a while. I forget his name, but uh, he apparently he's going to be a character, like a recurring character in the show. And uh, it looks like Tilly's going through some stuff <laughs> this season. Of course she is. Uh, yeah. And uh, Michelle Yeoh is back. I don't know how they're going to get her back a thousand years from the future to do section, the section 32 show, unless they create a whole new section 32, a thousand years in the future. 31. 31 sorry. Well, it'll be uh, called wanna... section 32 thousand years in the future <laughs> i want to address the the skullberry 9000 brought up a good point he said if pike does well they're going to say it's because fans only watch a, a star trek with a white male in the chair and it's not true of course of course it's not, it's not true my favorite my favorite star trek is voyager and it's because I freaking, deep space Nine. yeah i freaking love uh, uh captain janeway i think she's super cool i got to meet kate mulgrew at the last star trek day it's aw- she's awesome so that's you're right. That is obviously not true. The difference between Michael Burnham and Discovery not doing well versus uh, Pike and his new show is Anson Mount is way more charming than Michael Burnham's character. Uh, so like uh, Captain Pike, Anson Mount's acting, he fits the mold of that Starfleet captain way better than Michael Burnham did. And again, I think Kadish, you brought this up multiple times in our podcast that like having Michael Burnham not be the captain but still be the main character really sets her on an uphill battle as far as the audience is concerned. How, can you uh, explain that for people who haven't heard it? Yeah. Like basically, you know, the person driving the action in a Star Trek show has to be the captain because they're the commander of the ship. The crew takes their lead from the captain. You have, uh, you know, a whole 
tradition of this where you know Kirk is the one who leads leads the away team and the ship. Uh, Picard was the captain, even though like you know he had underlings to do stuff for him. He was still like the leader. His decisions drove the action forward. Uh, same thing with Voyager and Janeway, with DS9 and, and Commander Cisco. So you always had like a, a character that was the shot caller, and he would be the one, or he or she would be the one driving the action forward. And because of the command structure of, of Starfleet, naturally that would be the person who was in charge of the ship. And with Discovery, we got this weird dynamic where the main character was not the person in charge of the ship. Uh, Burnham has never been captain of the Discovery. It's always either been Lorca or um, what's the, what's the alien's name? Saru, Saru or, yeah. or uh, Pike. And so, like when when she comes along and she makes a decision that needs to happen in order to drive the story forward, it feels inauthentic because she's not in charge. Yeah, and she's so it, always her job is always berate the captain and tell him what they're doing is wrong and yeah, yeah. <laughs> set him on just, the right path. It's, it's, it's sets it's, a. a it sets a very weird tone for the show. And and, yeah. and as far as I'm concerned, it makes me not really want to root for her because it's constantly like, yeah. like I've been raised on Star Trek. You follow the captain's orders and you do what they say. And, you know, the crew is there to to complete the mission to the betterment of everybody. And they're like, Michael Burnham's like, no, you're doing it wrong. I'm going to do it this way. And it just it just didn't it didn't work for me. And I think yeah. that that's the biggest fault of Discovery season one and two. And if they change that aspect in season three and it burn is the leader and everybody goes by her command, it could very well turn around and, and I'd be willing to give it a shot. Uh, well, I don't expect shows that right. Saru is the captain of the ship. So yeah, he is. I wonder like, uh, that's a good what, point. What, yeah. What are they going to do with that? That's it. Oh man. What would have been interesting is if, um, you know, in, in the first season of discovery, is if Burnham's mutiny had succeeded and she had done what she had set out to do instead of being stopped. And, uh, you know, uh, basically she ended up being right, you know, and Starfleet secretly acknowledges that and gives her command of this, you know, uh, experimental ship uh, because they need her to kind of use her instincts to lead them against the Klingons. And, but her true crew doesn't trust her. And so like the first season would have been her, Kind of gaining the trust of her crew, even though like she's like a mutineer and like you know uh, you know a, a bad Starfleet officer and stuff like that. I think that would have been an interesting way to go, but instead we, we get this thing where basically she's completely discredited, and then she's brought on by Lorca uh, for reasons that we find out later that have nothing to do with that actual Burnham, but like the mirror universe Burnham, and uh, and you know so like we're in a situation where basically it, it's the same thing. Nobody trusts her on the crew. But she's also, uh, you know, has she really has no right to be calling shots there because Lorca is the one in charge. And like Vader said, you know, like she basically just this is the Burnham formula. Uh, the captain makes a decision. She berates the captain and then tells him what the real decision is. And the captain's like, yeah, OK, let's do that. You know, so like it, it, it's a really odd situation. Like they really needed to have put her in charge or not have made her the main character. It's just as easy yeah. as that. Yep. All right. Uh, that's probably going to do it for us today, guys. Thanks for stopping by. I really appreciate it. We got almost, I think, seven people in the in the chat room at one time. That was pretty awesome. Woo-hoo! Thank you guys all for, <laughs> for stopping by. It's pretty cool for somebody who yeah. never does live streams. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we appreciate the support. Uh, go to saltynerdpodcast.com if you want to check out the rest of our content, the legit, like, produced and, and done up uh, content we have there. 
Uh, coming up this week, we're going to be doing Viking Week. It's going to drop on Tuesday. It's uh, the Barbarians episode right above me here. That was, picked all that the was movies. such a fun show to do. It, it was, was a like... great show, dude. We had a we had such a fun time. And, uh, you guys cough mead while you were doing it. Yes, we did. <laughs> And uh, if you guys want to support the show, go to saltynerdclub.com. Uh, there's exclusive content coming out. Mostly it's uh, like vulgar jokes from Vader that I can't put publicly on I, iTunes. I can't so. talk without <laughs> dropping F-bombs. I apologize. <laughs> it's, it's impossible anyway. So if you like this dude right above me, go to uh, saltynerdclub.com, do a $1 patron, and just get this week's uh, <laughs> get this week's uh, exclusive content because it's freaking hilarious. And we were all drunk off our ass, so... Uh, go support well, the podcast and check us out. I was buzzed. Okay, I wasn't drunk <laughs> off my ass. Uh, I'd also like to announce that we're getting very close to the point where we can actually do the podcast live on a live stream. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd say within the next month or so, we're going to have the ability to do that. Um, so eventually, uh, you guys will get to see us record the show live and get to see Vader's uh, improprieties in real time. Uh, before <laughs> oh, Alex God, I, I'm good. Uh, we have to start doing this on a non-work day because <laughs> I, I legit get nervous doing this on YouTube. Like I used to do it. Like I used to get nervous in front of us for the show, just yeah. talking into a microphone. So that'll be an interesting little uh, experiment. It'll be fine. Yeah. We'll be good. But, We're the next chapter of the SMP is going to be uh, live streaming. So uh, look forward to that. And as always, shout out to our patrons, Nick, Haas, Roe, Vader's one, Jude as well. And uh, price of reason. You guys are awesome. Thanks for supporting us. And uh, who wants to sign us out? Kadish, you want to take over? Live long and prosper. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Live we'll long and prosper. Have a good one, everybody. Peace.